Hello, thank you. Thank you very much for coming here. My name is Martin. I go by the nickname Sapir. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be here. I mean, I'm amazed that, that, uh, that I have a chance to talk to you today and I hope you'll like it. Um, here are some pointers to myself. There is some little technical innovation. If you have your laptop on your lap, you can just go to the URL and if you press L, the slides might advance automatically on your computer. If you don't, maybe it's useful for some of you. So, uh, for some time now, I'm really fascinated by aviation computer systems and everything that surrounds it. Uh, and I find this is a very specific and uh, domain of computing. Um, this presentation contains everything is from public sources, as far as I can tell. And, uh, I, I tried, tried hard not to include anything, but that this is restricted or or, or uh, some kind of things. So first, some important disclaimers. I mean, mostly for me, this talk is done in my private capacity and because of my private interest. So any relation to my day and night job is purely coincidental. So before purchasing anything, do contact licensed travel professional and don't rely on anything I'm saying. <clears throat> so first I want to dive into airport environment. So typical software you see uh, on, the, on the airports. Uh, so obviously the first and the most important one are air traffic control systems. So everything which is responsible for safety in, in flight. Then you have some simple things like flight information display systems of those things which manage all those fancy displays you see all around the airport and all the information that passengers are getting. Systems for baggage control, making sure everything gets there where it should. Uh, access control, of course, limiting access for employees and, and crews and everybody. Plus additional little small things like announcements, systems for lost and found, etc., etc. Probably uh, lots of things like that on every airport. Uh, one, two systems which I want to mention here that uh, are uh, are also used widely in the industry, not only in the airports, are Thematic and Word Tracer. Thematic is an a huge database concern, uh, uh, having information about passport and visa requirements. So travel agents, check-in agents, airline representatives can verify online what's, uh, what may be wrong with, with your visa or your passport uh, so that you may not be allowed into your destination. Uh, Word Tracer is a very interesting system which literally knows every piece of luggage where it is worldwide. And you can trace it and you can find it if it's lost. There is a, a way to figure out uh, what went wrong and why, why it went wrong. Uh, so, simple things from the air traffic controls category. Uh, I think people who are interested in aviation may, might have known this already. This is uh, stuff related to the weather. 
So we have messages describing prognosed weather, and we also have messages describing current weather. Uh, there is a good American website to, uh, to, to see this, and well, you can imagine a simple IRC conversation between two people like this, like, you know, somebody asking how is weather in Warsaw, and Alice responds. Yeah, it's fine, mostly fine. I mean, visibility is good, uh, clouds are, are low, you know, and no significant change, changes recently. Uh, I, I used to have some such, such gadget on my laptop to, to check for the weather. I think it's, it's, it can be pretty useful. Uh, another system from ATC con uh, domain, and it's specific to Europe, is called common decision making. So basically, under the single European sky, as we call it, oops, sorry. Uh, under single European sky, all information about traffic uh, the movements of aircraft are, is transmitted centrally. The organization responsible for that is Eurocontrol in Brussels. And basically they know what time which aircraft was pushed from the gate, when it went to, to, to runway, when it departed, what kind of delay was there, what was the reason, and so on, so on. So this helps to squeeze more space out of the traffic space in Europe considerably. Uh, they have a nice public website. There is a link up there. I have collected all the links in one place later, so if you want, you can follow them. And it contains uh, lots of information about current situ traffic situation in Europe. So if you uh, are embarking on a trip and you have, you know, there are problems in some airports, uh, you can go there and, and read information. This is a sample message regarding uh, skiing season right now in Europe. So on every weekend since December to, uh, to February, air traffic controllers and pilots are supposed to, to follow some specific instructions. This is an example for Innsbruck Airport. So there is a bit different, different uh, approach procedure for scene for aircraft. So lots of interesting events, some sometimes listed like football games and, uh, and, and also some serious stuff affecting, affecting uh, operations. So let's move a bit more into airline systems, what the airlines are using. Uh, first and most important is to me is airline inventory. This is a system which is a database of all flights uh, that airline ha is running, the schedule, what kind of aircraft is this, what kind of seating configuration is there, and most importantly, this controls the whole sales process. So availability of seats and ultimately the price you pay for that is all controlled there. So this whole systems has very secret, deeply buried business rules to determine how much we will be paying for, for travel. Uh, next is reservations and ticketing. We'll be digging a bit more into this uh, today because this, this is the system which works mostly on passenger name records. Uh, departure control and flight management. Departure control is an IT slang for check-in. So basically everything the check-in agent uses, what gate agents use, uh, it belongs to this area, so uh, basically if you work in the system, you take the reservation, 
of a passenger and you accept the baggage, you print the boarding pass, you put some information into additional information there, and this is everything that is needed to, this is, well, one half of what is needed to, to have the aircraft ready for departure. Flight management handles things like, like fuel uh, and, and, and uh, similar issues. And second important half of getting the aircraft airborne is load control. So basically, how much stuff do we put into the aircraft so that it finally can depart? How many passengers do we have? What is, you, what is your uh, load in the cargo? How many containers, pallets you have inside? And so on. I will show you a little example maybe later. Uh, of course, we shouldn't forget avionics. Unfortunately, I'm not into this area, uh, but, but this is probably a subject of its own. Uh, how avionics is built, uh, how it's uh, deployed and, and, con and controlled. And last but not least, in flight entertainment. Both systems are getting pretty complex right now. Well, in one Airbus 380, I have seen it's basically a Linux network with IP, with multicasting, with everything in it, and it's all flying. Um, additional piece, which sometimes is done by the airline, sometimes is done by, by the airport, sometimes by some other parties. It's flight planning software. There are already quite a few uh, well-established packages to, to plan an actual flight route. Uh, so out of the system, you may, uh, you may help prepare which exactly what route you will be taking. Out of it, you will get your fuel requirements. So all the system, before departure, we're playing a kind of resource game. So how much passengers you put in, so how much, maybe you fit more cargo or less, maybe you put more, uh, more mail or less, uh, so then you can put more fuel or as Well, I've seen situations like because of too much fuel, we had to offload passengers from the flight. So this all has to be tightly coordinated for systems are, in, uh, so are interconnected and, and, uh, the goal is to get everything out on time. And that's an important, next important thing is money, so sales. Most of the sales of airline tickets is facilitated via systems called global distribution systems. So this is a link between travel agents, web portals, and airlines. This is kind of wholesale business of air travel. Uh, most of you have who did fly have certainly interacted with one of those systems, maybe not eventually, but... So, uh, the first one system deployed was Sabre, Sabre, Galileo, the Wordspan, and my favorite the one I actually use most is Amadeus, the European one. Those systems do sell most of stuff, but airlines also sell directly from their, from their inventory. So, so you may get deals online on the website which are not available via GDS. In general, the whole GDS business is, uh, is regulated 
because it's very easy to manipulate the market if you uh, if, if you, you know, show more seats in one airline and less seats on the other airline and you show more expensive tickets on one airline and less expensive tickets on the other. So, so uh, there were cases in the past when, when it was manipulated and, and uh, you could take, uh, play, market players could take advantage. Also, those systems are very heavily localized, so that means it depends where you are, who you are, is what you get. So you can see ticket conditions saying this ticket is available, available only in Tehran in ma March of 2015. That's it. That's nothing really unusual. Um, sometimes if you get a confirmation of your reservation, there are URLs in, in there, so they relate more or less to the, uh, to the GDS systems and you can, you can figure out uh, which system was was in charge uh, of your of your travel? <coughs> so let's go back to the main subject here today. It's the passenger name record. What it is? What it, why it is important? We call it sometimes a booking or a reservation. So it's a structure that describes your itinerary of a passenger or a group of passengers sometimes a pretty large group even. Uh, this can include travel by air, can be travel by hotels, by, you can include car rental there. Uh, well, you can even say somebody's like, maybe driving or moving somewhere without using an airplane from A to B and, and he continues air travel afterwards. Uh, there is no formal industry standard for the format of a PNR. But because they can exchange between various systems, they tend to be very similar. So, for example, lots of abbreviations and a lot of additional services described in VPNR uh, are pretty much standard. So, uh, so you don't have an issue with understanding uh, PNR in different systems. PNRs are identified by the record locator. Here's an example, 6NTZQR. This is actually goes down to some low-level identifier of on disk. Initially, it was really, really uh, like a like a block number, block ID, where the record was stored. Those systems have been created in uh, 60s, so so technology behind it is uh, is was pretty interesting. Uh, and also, locator is unique in the inventory system. I put some abbreviations. One A is an airline abbreviation for Amadeus system, although it's not an airline. LH is Lufthansa, and so on and so on. So, so sometimes you have a combination of two, and your uh, your passenger name record can be put in two systems. Like if you fly to different airlines, or airlines using different systems, uh, there's pretty good chance that your your PNR will be replicated and will have two or three different identifiers. Uh, it's important to, to watch if you check on the website, you want to check in quickly which one, which one is right. Sometimes there's nothing less uh, else like just trying all of them and see maybe one of them works. So, so PNRs are something which is like volatile. It's pretty quick and dirty information. It doesn't cost much, uh, or ac except for access to the system, doesn't cost, cost, cost anything to put a reservation. 
So travel agent can just play with a system and book seats for you, see different, different itineraries, different routes, and price them, and they can do it online. Uh, after that, if, if, you, if you want to, 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 to purchase a certain route, an electronic ticket today will be created, and this indicates that really the fur has been paid and the contract, the actual contract has been, has been kind of signed. So the ticket is valid between two cities, not two airports. So for example, you can, you can in theory, use a ticket for two different airports in one city. It usually has a date when it's valid and carries some long number. This is a real example from, from Swiss, the first three digits indicate the airline, and this number is never reused. So PNRs are like, like go in, go out, delete, uh, numbers can be, uh, uh, locators can be reused. It's like throwaway information, although important. But electronic ticket is something where your money is. So if you ever get a confirmation for a travel, make sure you know the ticket number, because that's your money. All the rest is, 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 is secondary. Uh, the ticket also specifies the fare paid, which is with a tariff, and important decimal condition, conditions, fare note. Uh, I heard some, some of you had some issues coming uh, to, to Congress uh, in one of the evenings, uh, I think two days ago. So I advise them, please do check your fare note and make sure you, to, to, to know what is penalty for, for example, penalty for rebooking or if you can rebook at all. So all those little, little things are, are described in the fair note. So electronic ticket may or may not be associated to PNR. So PNR, the typical consequence is you create reservation. First you, uh, you, you sell the ticket and then everything is combined. But uh, it's also many to many relationship. You can have multiple tickets for one journey. Uh, for example, or uh, you, can, uh, you can have multiple reservations for one ticket. So how do we go into creation of PNRs and how do we work with them? So practically all reservation systems are mainframe systems originally meant to be accessed by 370 green screen terminal. So if you, any one of you had ever chance to touch a mainframe or see the mainframe system, that's exactly how it looks like. However, those systems provide interactive interface with real-time transaction processing. And it's really fast. And given the amount of transactions they process, this is, this is something which is, which is, which is really... Uh, in The scale of a processing going on there is something which is some, sometimes hard to imagine. Uh, most airline systems I mean, reservation ticketing systems, they run on an, one of the most unknown operating systems. It's called Transaction Processing Facility, short TPF. It was created in, in 1960s, and actually one has a feeling that the, 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 the real core of the system didn't really change with the whole and those systems until today are processing things like airlines and credit card transaction processing, for example. Visa is using also, also something like that. And uh, the number of installations worldwide 
is certainly less than 100. I heard some numbers in numbers around 50 or 60. And uh, it looks like we have even less and less installations available. There has been many, many, many IT projects to replace that. You can imagine vendors, like big database vendors, trying to create something which is as fast and as scalable as this. Well, it looks like technology from the 60s still holds strong and we cannot really... <laughs> So, once we got a system, we know the mainframe, we need to connect somehow to it, and I will describe shortly a typical workstation. This is a, a typical check-in configuration, so because it has mostly everything. Check-in agents need, need not, not everything, but check-in agent is somebody who, who really has, has all of devices connected. So, so you have output devices, it's a backtech printers, so, so the thing you put on your was put on your back, the boarding press printers, hard copy printers, and I tell you, long live dot matrix printers. <laughs> I've seen you know the young agents coming to work and, and like like after after training they see those things which I remember from my high school, and it's like what, what is this? But given the amount of paper which is produced, so I can show you the onboard service list for Airbus 380, is like this thick for just for one flight. So there is no hardware in printing business which can withstand such load. And the best thing is, you can fix it with a leverman or knife, mostly. Try doing that with your laser printer or, or, or inkjet printer or anything like that. I mean, what can happen? Printer can just get stuck. You take a knife, remove the paper, remove the rest, keeps going. Input devices we usually use is magnetic stripe reader for frequent flyer cards and for credit cards. Sometimes, usually it's combined with OCR scanner, so if you have a passport or ID with this little readable zone, uh, if you get one from Digital Courage here, you can get Lichtbild Ausweis there. It also contains uh, appropriate, uh, appropriate information to, to be scanned. So, <clears throat> uh, Barcode scanner, keyboard, and what's interesting, although uh, many countries are jumping onto biometric uh, passports. Uh, I have yet to see uh, RFID reader there. Well, actually, nobody needs a picture of a passenger, but but hopefully yet. So we don't have those. At least I haven't seen those in action yet. And all this gear is supposed to be connected to 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 that to the uh, mainframe system. This is this was usually done by by hardwiring uh, terminals. Those things really got created in the 60s, and and uh, and the whole structure, the whole ideology behind it didn't really change. Today, we are using actually PCs. And there is a thing called common use terminal equipment, which is a which is a platform, software platform built on today it's Windows XP. 
Yeah, I know, I know. But it was OS 2, it was Windows NT, and now it's XP. Well, uh, maybe it's easier to lock down Windows XP, I don't know. And <clears throat> basically, uh, the goal of this is to, able to, to be able to use the same PC for different airlines. So you can quickly change, just log in to another user and you are with Lufthansa. You log out, you switch to, and you are in, in uh, I don't know, Asiana, and so on, so on, so on. So you can basically switch software configurations on demand as you just need them. The devices stay the same, and uh, the physical hardware stays the same, but the whole logic, the networking behind it changes. Uh, there are also self-service kiosks, it's basically, it's the same equipment, just designed to be used by, uh, by the passenger himself. So, so let's go to, to communications and how it all is wired. There are two, well, a few more, but there are two leading companies, and called, one of them is called CETA, it's actually a, a corporation created by the airlines, and. Uh, American counterpart, it's Aeronautical Radio Incorporated. Those companies are the telecom or ISPs to the airlines. So they provide the whole infrastructure uh, to get with everything networked. So they created, especially CETA created a huge pre-internet wide area network. And it's amazing because it's, it's covering over, over, uh, over 220 countries. And it was done, done well before we even were thinking about the internet. So, uh, one of the most important part and functions of those networks is connecting those terminals we spoke before to those mainframes. Uh, actually, it looks like, it looks like that each device is separately connected to the host. So it has its own identifier, device identifier similar to, uh, to, to your like, you know, IP address or something like this. So the advantage of that is that you can worldwide use device on some other terminals. So uh, I've been, for example, printing on, on printers which are f f uh, like 10,000 uh, kilometers away and, and the system handles that easily. Well, in the 60s, it was probably a really, really cool thing. And try to do that on, on somebody else's printer here over internet. <clears throat> um, one function uh, on the, uh, in, in the communication area is messaging via telex. So airline people really say we write telex and we read telex and so we don't write emails. There's a special protocol. Um, Unfortunately, the specifications are, uh, you have to pay for that to get into it. And uh, it's designed to run on serial links. And, uh, uh, well, occasionally it might run over IP on some, some IP protocol links, but actually the whole system is designed to, to function without any, any internet. So here's a sample message uh, from, uh, from Cita Telex. Maybe let's skip to 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 to, to a more uh, uh, explained version. Well, you can think of it like an email. It's actually functionally very similar to what SMTP is doing. So the first two, two lines are our header. So QD is a priority. The sender and recipient are listed below. 
The cool thing about CETA addressing system that the first letter, three letters are always the airport code, the second two letters are usually the airline code, and the rest, those two left, are, usual, are kind of standardized. So you can actually guess the address of the recipient if you don't know. So because, for example, I need to write uh, reservations of New Zealand Air New Zealand in Auckland. So I just send it text to AKL NZ uh, RR. And it usually goes through. So there are some standard addresses which everybody is using, and it's pretty useful. You don't have to even think and also look up what's your address. You just generate them right away. So the third line is the TCPM is the type of a message. This, this example is container palette message. So this is the message which describes the exact what is put inside of cargo area of this particular aircraft. Followed by the flight number, the flight number, uh, registration number of the aircraft, uh, and then we have this description, description of what's loaded. Uh, 11L, 12L, 14L, 42L are positions, so it's like a map. You can imagine left, right, and, and doors where, where the containers are located. Three letters, PKC, AKH, this is, uh, these are container type. Uh, AKH is, is typical uh, luggage, uh, luggage container. Uh, IST is the code for Istanbul, so it's where this container is supposed to go. Uh, weight in kilograms. And what it is, C is a cargo, uh, BC means uh, business class uh, bags uh, without, BY0 means there are no economy class bags, where BY means it's economic class container. Uh, it matters because if you unload, uh, some unloading process is really slow, so you have to uh, prioritize which containers you want to be first out, for example, for some short connections, uh, you want to have containers to be uh, unloaded quickly. And finally, there is a hold five. The hold five, we call it sometimes belly. This is a part of aircraft, well, not aircraft have it, but um, it's a part where you don't put containers, you just put loose items. That's where animals uh, are being transported, those dogs in cages, uh, strollers, uh, wheelchairs, uh, on, and some funky uh, items, I don't know, like, like bikes sometimes, or, or, uh, or, or surfing boards, or something like this. And somebody put here a comment, two baby stories in uh, CPT-5, which means somebody, we have two, two, two strollers to be unloaded. This will be the first thing which probably goes out of the aircraft. So passenger disembarking will get it. Those messages uh, are, can be, CPM is mostly written automatically by the system, but you can write its free text, we, just like an email. And then there is a wireless communication, something you might have heard before in the news. There is a data link, wireless data link between aircraft and the ground, which is called ACARS, Aircraft Communication Addressing and Reporting System. It, w it went mainstream uh, recently because of um, Malaysian flight 370, and it was widely discussed. So this is lots of communication going on there automatically. So engines reporting what's going on there, systems reporting what's going on there. Uh, pilots are using it all the time. Uh, one of the particular application which is very interesting for us is uh, uh, ADS system, which 
one of part of it just broadcasts information about the flight. So it says a flight number, registration number, destination, current altitude, speed, and so on and so on. This is exactly what FlightRadar24.com is using. Basically, FlightRadar24 is just a network, crowdsourced network of, of people who are running, who are running uh, re receivers from, for those messages. They are not encrypted, so you, everybody can receive that. You put them on the map, and that's it. There are also other modes, ADSE and BC, that are used in a question-answer mode. So you can ask for more information. You can also transmit telex, I meant before, on board and back using this, uh, this communication. A military application called IFF, Identification Friend and Foo, is actually just a little protocol extension on ADS with some crypto. So somebody sends you a challenge, you have to sign it, respond back, and then you are a friendly aircraft. <coughs> or not. So there is a free and open software called ACRST, available for sniffing ADS, so of course some radio equipment is acquired, and you can, you can just read fire logs available on the internet. Uh, people are sniffing these communications, so, uh, so you, can see, you can see what's going on there. So, let's go to some more uh, deeper down into, into, into the actual reservation and PNR. So this is an example, it's a fake example, but it looks really real, how the passenger name record of Amadeus looks like. So, uh, looking from top, there's some indications, all those things we've seen is, is the identification of the office, there is a user ID, RHSU is a user ID who created or recently updated the record, the date it was updated, and on the uh, top right, uh, right hand you, uh, uh, you see the locator. Then you have the names of the passengers. One of the passengers is a child. It was a child born on 1st January 2008. And then you have lines with additional information. So line three and line number four are itineraries, so where the passenger is flying, with flight numbers, booking class, date, terminal number, destination. HK2 means uh, holding confirmed, which means that reservation is confirmed, so most of usual normal reservations, if you have a seat, uh, that's what it says times of departure and, and, and dates, and your baggage allowance. Uh, then there is a mandatory contact information. Sometimes it's a passenger's contact information. Sometimes it's very useful for the airline to get, be able to, 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 to call you on your mobile and ask if you are uh, on your way to, to, to boarding or maybe somewhere else. Or it, it, sometimes just travel agencies put it inside. The line number six, is the TK element, it's the ticketing information. In this case, the ticket has not yet been issued and we are waiting to uh, serve a passenger to, to, to pay for the ticket. So, um, the first word on the line, like AP, TK, SSR, indicates type of a record. It's really, uh, after a while, if you get used to it, it's really straightforward. SSR, these are special requirements records which describe anything additional 
information about the passenger, which we NS needs to know. So in this case, information means the passenger is a child. CHLD is a universal code for, for child. SQ is the airline which is flying, which is Singapore Airlines. HK is, it was, information was confirmed from the airline. Date of birth of a child. And slash means it's a poor man's uh, hierarchical structure. S3 means this information is attached to segment number three. So this is the flight in the row number three. And P2, which means it's attached to passenger number two, to Mr. John Keane. And the similar uh, second row is the same for the, for, the, uh, for the return flight for segment four, uh, passenger two. So in Amadeus PNR, you can have some items associated with some passengers. Uh, for example, you can have two passengers flying together, but one of them needs a wheelchair assistance. Or one of them is child or something like this. And lines number nine and two, ten, it's something for people who are using IRC or uh, maybe familiar. Visa bots entries. So reservation systems have lots of bots operating on them. And they put some interesting messages for travel agents and for airlines. Uh, this bot is locking all reservations without a ticket and is saying, hello, we need a ticket before the state, otherwise this reservation will be cancelled. So if you don't put ticket number behind this reservation, it will be cancelled and those seats which you have now confirmed, so you actually are blocking two seats, will be uh, will be released. Here are some examples of comments I've seen live. Rx is a so-called restricted comment or secret comment. This can be seen only by people who created this reservation. Uh, this information, please kindly rush assist packs to issue MCO for CNJFK flight number, blah, blah, blah. This means the passenger has paid for an upgrade to business class and appropriate document has to be issued. There's a whole telegraphic language used because those telexes I mentioned before are very costly. It's actually, in some cases, even every byte is being charged for transmission. So there's a whole system of, of abbreviations and, and language uh, how, to, how to do that to, to make it short. Uh, another example, a special service request WSCHS, this is wheelchair, SQHQ1, cannot walk long distance elderly. So this is information that passenger needs a wheelchair assistance, there are actually three kinds of that, and, uh, and that it is expected that somebody will pick the passenger up and, and help them, help them to, to, to get, and also pick them up on the, on the airport. Another uh, comment is a check-in comment for check-in agents that passenger is pregnant, 22nd week of pregnancy. So uh, this information is important because uh, there are limits. Uh, if you're pregnant, how, how far along you can fly. Sometimes you need the doctors, doctors attest for that. But I just wanted to give an example of something which is, which is certainly not necessarily meant for public use. Another item which is related to, to recent discussions regarding passenger uh, PNRs and reservations is advanced passenger information. My first remark will be that contrary to what European Union says, it's advanced passenger information, so something which is provided in advance. 
It's not advanced. You will see lots of, lots of sites have make this error. Uh, this is an innovation um, related to all visa passport immigration rules. And uh, airlines have a possibility on sometimes a requirement to put your passport or visa information into the reservation system to, uh, to for further processing. Uh, if you fly domestic or within, within, within European Union, for example, you might not be required to do this. There are also some international flights, airlines which don't do that. But there are around 30 countries which require that. Countries like Australia, New Zealand, United States of America, of course. Uh, recently, Myanmar joined, joined this, this group in November um, this year. Uh, <clears throat> and sometimes this information is being used to automatically verify various electronic visas. For many countries, you can get visa online. It's just a record. And airline has a possibility to, to online quickly check uh, your, if your visa is valid and everything's fine. To do that, the airline has to put your information first. So if you see check-in agents swapping your passport sometimes twice, they usually are putting putting those information into the system. These are the actual Amadeus commands to put the passport information with a number, date of issue, and so on and so on, uh, visa, uh, visa information, and United States requires providing an address where you will be staying in the United States, so there is also facility to do that in the reservation system. So how, what is happening with those, uh, with those passenger data. Uh, there is a, they have been designed some kind of uh, messages format, so this is actually something similar to what I've shown before. And information about the passenger is being transferred to the country of the destination. Uh, we have to, we have two, uh, I will show you examples of that. Uh, Pax LST uh, is a kind of simpler thing. It's mainly used for, for visa purposes. And PNR government information is like, we need to know everything about the passenger, actually. There are two models, there are push model. So the airline is supposed just to deliver all data, passenger data at some certain point before departure and usually after departure of an of aircraft, and there is pull model. The government may sometimes ask the airline automatically via the interface, please give me more information about passenger X or that. Um, airlines sometimes can also online send this information, for example, if you want to check a visa online. So here's an example of Pax LST message. Does anybody recognize the format? Bingo, very good. This is Edifact. So for those who never heard, it's a standard related to electronic data interchange. So this is something which is like XML of the 90s. Uh, you can see, uh, well, well, it's maybe difficult to explain the format, but it's it's also hierarchical, so you can put items, uh, embed uh, some sub-items into it, and the structure can be pretty flexible. 
So UNB, UN, uh, UNZ, and VN, these are the headers. So these are the kind of envelope of the whole message. Uh, UNG, UNH is the identification of a, what kind of message is this. And if you don't look at classes and you don't look at apostrophes and columns, it kind of slowly starts making sense. Uh, this is now, uh, well, maybe not a new trend, but uh, recently uh, there is an attempt that all airline systems switch from using plain text telexes, which I showed you before, to those kind of uh, messages. Well, it's only a bit, to me, it's only a bit better than uh, ASN.1. Because parsing this is, 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 is sometimes really, really horrible, and we can expect uh, probably lots of funny issues with that in the future. So this Pax LST message lists basically the most important information is hidden in the middle. It's the name of a passenger uh, and its uh, address. Uh, well, nationality somewhere, so you have a country called US somewhere inside, a time of a message, and so on and so on. That's it's kind of it's, it's kind of pretty pretty easy. I want to explain a bit some more special case, a bit special than all other countries requiring some information, is the procedures requiring entering United States of America. So within the Department of Homeland Security, you have two, two, two organizations, Transport Security Administration, very well known for patting passengers, TSA, and Customs and Border Protection, so which is the Border Police of the United States. They require similar information to be delivered. DSA calls it secure flight. This is required for all flights in the US, coming to the US, departing from the US, and also flying over the United States. Just if you don't even land, you need to submit this information to be able to overfly. So they want to check who's on the flight, and if some special name, some is on the list, they may want, may want to deny you possibility to, to arrive. Uh, one of the things they run are do not fly watch list, a widely discussed subject, and secondary screening, SSS. This is a procedure where some passenger checks in and is informed, sorry, that TSA has selected you for secondary screening, you have to go to this room, there is a, for example, body scanner or something like this, and you will be asked some questions and you will be additionally. So, the US requires that this is all done also prior to arrival, prior to departure. So, you can see it happening in Germany or in other countries where there are flights to the United States. Another uh, part, which is what's, what Border Protection is doing, is requesting this API, passport information. And what they do there, uh, for countries which, which are participating in visa waiver program, for example, Germany, they uh, do the uh, automated ESTA processing. ESTA are those uh, online visas, mini visas, which you apply for the US if you have a German passport. So basically, airline has a possibility to online provide this information to, 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 to the Department of Homeland Security, and it's getting response. ESTA valid, ESTA not valid, or sometimes it was valid but has been denied. 
One more lesser known feature of, of this proceeding is a CBP advisory program. And to quote from the website, they say they deploy advisors in selected overseas locations to provide on-site training and technical assistance to foreign customs administration or border control agencies. So these are actually American uh, uh, employees being outside and, uh, and uh, how they work, they receive information from, from Department of Homeland Security because they already have information about passengers delivered, and they can uh, approach some passenger, ask him a few questions, or talk to the airline. Just by accident, in August this year, I found a job advertisement for this position in Frankfurt, Germany. So they were looking for, for free agents. So you need to have a secret security clearance. Here is a description of what CBP is doing. And the description of a duty. So, uh, you become a team of Homeland Security professionals detecting, preventing terrorists and instruments of terror from entering the United States. Typical work assignments include using current targeting and passenger analysis information to focus on high-risk passengers, and make recommendations to carriers and host to governments regarding passengers who should not be boarded or flights this time to the United States. Dealing with highly sensitive situations tactfully and diplomatically in order to gain the cooperation of travelers, airline carrier representatives, and foreign law enforcement personnel. Serving as a subject matter expert and advising consulting CPP management and house government officials on the misery requirements to enter the United States. So this is a kind of official who is working in Frankfurt on the airport. And he has just advisory role to the airline. Well, I don't imagine an airline who wouldn't take advice from, from such an officer. Somebody may say, please do not board. <coughs> so, and for the dessert, this is an example of PNR Gulf message. This is what is currently being discussed in the United Europe, uh, European Union regarding exchange of data with the with, 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 with United States and Canada. And this, this record contains everything from the reservation. Let me try to make it smaller, maybe. Maybe a bit more small. Maybe a bit smaller. Well, still didn't fit on screen, sorry. Uh, so this includes not only PNR information that I have shown you, sometimes it's pretty sensitive, not only address information, passport information, visa information, everything. It also includes the complete history of that record. It includes all the comments and, and what was written. Sometimes corporations are putting really, really, really long internal communications about the travel. Plus some check-in information like seats, baggage, and everything. So this is actually what is now being standardized. 
and will be demanded from, from, from countries uh, in the European Union too. So, well, well, actually, this exchange with the US is already functioning. So, so we're not just only discussing whether the scope is correct and so on. What's interesting, most of the specifications I spoke about is false documentation is public and open for implementation. Most of the airline stuff is not, but this is easy. So I think they are looking to attract some open source developers in this area. <coughs> so, so to f as a final note, I just want to say something about the future, what's, what is now happening in the systems. So we are facing now migration away from a simple telex messaging. So no longer simple email-like thing. It's going be, to be looked like as false, horrible structured records which are being served. There's also move away from the peer-to-peer -peer arrangement between various airlines and these two companies who try to integrate the whole, the whole travel industry in like one or two huge databases. There is standardization of those government messages going on and uh, you can, we can watch it online because all, all drafts and specifications are public. And we are getting there with new technology gadgets. So recently, things like tablets for flight crews and automated biometric passport control. This, these are things which are currently deployed and this is all tightly connected to the airline systems. So there certainly will be much more fun and much more exploration to be done in the future. Well, whether things are going in a good direction, it's, I leave it up to you to decide. So thank you for your patience. That's everything for now. Well, I hope we still have some time for questions, maybe. Uh, if you do have a question, please be so kind and line up in any of the six microphones in the room. Uh, it's, do, do we have a question from the internet? Yes, we have. Deathflyer is asking, you mentioned this um, SSSS code, four times the letter S on the boarding pass, that stands for Enhanced Security Screening is Required. Um, where does this show up and who can change the status? Uh, so, the uh, Enhanced Security uh, Secondary Screening status is, uh, first, the check-in agent re receives that information when they check somebody in, so before they print the boarding pass. It has to be should be printed or handwritten on the boarding pass, and it should be clean, clean, uh, clearly stated to the passenger what's uh, going on. Uh, I remember there was a story a few years ago when somebody discovered that they did scan the boarding pass, they decoded the barcode, and this information was there. And it was marketed as a kind of security risk. Uh, it is not, because this is actually, once it's decided, it's public. And um, the only thing you can do if you are uh, too often selected for the screening, you can complain to DHS and you will get a special number, unique identifier of your person, which you can provide in further reservations to maybe uh, mitigate the risk of being selected every time. Because there are passengers who are being selected at random every time for the screening. I hope it answers it. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you. you. Uh, if you do want to leave, please do that more quietly as there are still people who would like to listen to the Q&A. Um, 
microphone too. I think you lined up uh, as the first person. Yeah. Um, so often um, when I'm changing carriers, I'll, I'll fly like uh, uh, I'm based in San Francisco. So um, usually I'll check in and I'll get all my boarding passes for a particular trip, which would be like um, United to Sydney and then Sydney to Auckland on Air New Zealand or on land. Um, or commonly another trip that I've done is San Francisco to Washington to Munich and then Munich to Trieste. And so I'll get like... Um, United boarding passes on United stock for the whole trip, but then I get there and they're very insistent that I have to change my ticket, my remaining ticket stock to Lufthansa, to Aerodolomiti. I was almost denied boarding Sydney to Auckland um, because I did not have my entire boarding passes. All of them were not printed on Air New Zealand stock. So I was wondering if you could talk about this. Well, if, uh, if it's just something like so it's like a marketing thing, or they just want to see it, you know, on their stock, that's one thing I understand. But it seems like there's something deeper because this is across, like, uh, you know, at least um, most of the carriers and star lines. This is actually strange to me because uh, first boarding passes are kind of standardized. Even the barcode on it is standardized. So, uh, for example, SAS is issuing one boarding pass for three segments. So we just save paper, and they give you one piece of paper for our onward flights. So uh, there are reasons which uh, agents sometimes exchange boarding passes uh, are, well, sometimes it's allegiance because it's more information there for the airline as well. Uh, like your frequent flight number is there, or maybe some additional information which they want to show you is there. So sometimes they do it to provide more information, but I don't think it's your case right, right now here. And sometimes you are unfortunately required to provide some additional information at the check-in desk, even though you've been checked in already two days ago with some other carrier, but some of your information, mostly it's this passport information I talked about is missing. So passengers are surprised, they got a whole stock of boarding passes, but they are still being paged to, 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 to do something and something strange is being done to them. But actually, apart from changing a seat, or wanting to provide you more information on the boarding pass, uh, like new boarding time or, or new gate or something like this, this shouldn't really happen. This is yeah. This is this is across like this is across. Yeah, this is this has nothing to do with like I didn't decide to upgrade at the last minute. Um, I didn't change my uh, passport number or anything like that. It's just you get to the gate and they're like, oh. Uh, you do not have this on Lufthansa stock. I'm sorry, you have to go back out to check-in, exit through security. Oh, and the flight's leaving in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, those interfaces, because airlines have used those tele interfaces to exchange your PNR and your information, and those interfaces, just like everybody knows in the networking, are not perfect. So sometimes some, I, I see lots of import errors, like about three passengers traveling together from the same airport, and one of them by, gets some information missing. Sometimes one letter is wrong, something checksum was wrong, I don't know. But, but there are lots of, lots of interoperability issues. And, well, the agents have no choice just to, about to, to harass yeah. you and, and, yeah. and, and yeah. request that Okay, so it's a mystery to you too. That's <laughs> okay. good enough for me, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the Q&A. Will you still be around for further questions as we are running a little out of time here? Mm -hmm. yep. good. So, no. okay. Then give them some applause for giving that talk and being here. Thank you. Thank you very much.